What's up, Dolphins fans, and welcome to another episode of Power to the Pod here on Locked on Dolphins, which means it's your questions, your topics, your hot takes, you name it, regarding your Miami Dolphins. Looking forward to hearing the first Power to the Pod since the most unforeseen head coaching change that the Dolphins have undergone this season. Uh, so looking forward to seeing what each and every one of you guys has in the tank. Let's go ahead and dial this thing up. Get after it here on Locked On Dolphins closing down this week. You are Locked On Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, Dolphins fans? Welcome to another episode of Locked On Dolphins. We are live on Thursday night on the YouTube channel. Bunch of you guys in here already. Good to see you. Uh, if you're not on the YouTube channel, Locked On Dolphins, and if you are here, make sure you like the video, hit subscribe, that way you get to push notifications when uh, we go live. But if you're not and you're on the, the podcast feed for Friday, you're welcome all the same. And if you uh, want to partake in this, you can't make the live shows, uh, go ahead and leave a review on the show and uh, with Power to the Pod and specify Power to the Pod, five-star only, though. And... Uh, We'll go ahead and dig in, and uh, we're going to go ahead and dig in today. I'm sure a lot of great questions from you guys. want to thank you guys for making Locked On Dolphins your first Miami Dolphins listen of the day. A lot of great options out there, a lot of great personalities, and uh, always humble to see those of you who rally and, and make sure that Locked On Dolphins is a part of your daily routine. So, uh, for the record, Ghost of Adam Gase was the first comment in the comment section. So, I know there's, there's a battle going on there. Uh, Dolphins craze, you did not beat him. Sorry to say it. Uh, yes, Ryan, we are just getting started here on the show. So the way these work, uh, I do have some iTunes reviews that have been submitted. I'm uh, going to read through them. Not as much as last week, which was uh, like a crazy amount for the end of the season. Uh, and, and then we're going to get into the live stream comments. And there are a bunch of you guys running through here already. So looking forward to uh, digging into all the live comments, but starting with some iTunes reviews, starting first one with QB is the topic from DBag34. All right. Good morning. Huge fan of the pod and huge Dolphins fan living in New Jersey. What's up? I'm just across, uh, just across the bay. I'm over in Delaware. Been supporting Tua for a while now, but I believe they should bring in Gardner Minshew. The kid is a winner and would instantly add competition to the team and could end up being the team starter. What do you think? I think Minshew's always going to be that guy that has appeal uh, to bring into a quarterback room and introduce some competition. And I said this on uh, WQAM Joe Rosho this week. I think the Dolphins would be doing themselves and Tua a disservice to not bring some level of competition into the quarterback room this, this offseason. You don't want to give him the Ryan Tannehill treatment, right, where he's not pushed at all for – the continued, you know, he's shown that he needs to continue to improve. So don't coddle him. Don't treat him with kid gloves. Now don't drag him through the mud. If he's the guy who you're planning on being the starting quarterback next year. Um, but at the very least, bring somebody else in there who can legitimately compete and push him and let the best man win the job. And that's how every position should be. And obviously when a player is drafted with the fifth overall pick, kind of those expectations aren't really, there that that's going to be needed. Um, but Garner Minshew, super tough, gamer, kind of fearless. Uh, I like him. I like his DNA as a player. 
Um, he's an awesome personality. Met him at the Senior Bowl the year that he came through the draft process. And uh, he's one of those guys who's routinely going to be available for a day three pick. And if the Dolphins, whoever this new coach is, comes in and conducts their assessment of the quarterback room and says, I would like to bring in some competition, but we're not going to spend a first round pick on one or trade a bunch of first round picks out to go get a guy uh, that that's an established high level NFL starter. Then a guy like Gardner Minshew makes a lot of sense. So D bag. And I say that as a um, term of endearment, since that's your username, I want to be abundantly clear. Uh, I think you're on the right track there with something, depending on what the evaluation of the quarterback room looks like for whoever they end up bringing in. Uh, another quarterback question, and it's uh, a name. <laughs> it's going to take this conversation to a name that was talked about um, early in the week, and it was a lightning rod topic, and it's Kirk Cousins. So this one comes from exclamation mark. Let me go ahead and open up this full review. Going into the offseason, there's lots of talk about glamorous upgrades at quarterbacks such as Watson, Wilson, and Rodgers. How would you feel about making a move for someone like Kirk Cousins, less glamorous, but I feel like Kirk would have gotten us a couple more wins this season and a playoff berth from Mark. Uh, I do think Kirk kind of gets the raw end of the stick from like a general perception of his play as a quarterback. Uh, what's interesting about any potential dealings for Kirk is any team that would be trading for him would be arguing age and financials, and that might be enough to drive the price down where it could be something that, again – if that was the investment level that the team felt comfortable with to introduce some competition, um, I'm not, I, I'm not trading a first round pick for Kirk cousins. Right. Um, but Kirk's going to be 35. I think he's due $35 million next year and it's fully guaranteed right now. So as you're a team and it's like, yo, I'm trading for a 35 year old quarterback that's due $35 million this year. Come on. Like let's bring the price down a little bit. And I think what you could then do in an instance which which he would come in, and I would like to make abundantly clear, I'm not saying Kirk Cousins is my choice for path of quarterback. I'm just talking through how I would approach a negotiation if I decided I wanted to bring Kirk in. Uh, I would probably give him a one-year extension, take the $35 million that he's doing guaranteed salary this year, and spread that guarantee money out over two seasons. So that way you're not absorbing a $35 million cap hit for Kirk Cousins this year. So that's kind of the pathway that could be taken to absorb him. Uh, I do think he's a better quarterback than he gets probably credit for from uh, a lot of fans. Uh, I know he hasn't had a lot of postseason success. I know he has a lot of good skill players around him in Minnesota that he's been throwing the ball to and has Dalvin Cook to turn around and hand the ball off to. So um, there are some dynamics there that I don't think are a one-for-one -one and would make a projection into Miami uh, pretty complex. Let's see here. Chad, Miami Dolphins. Not from the Miami Dolphins, just Chad, Miami Dolphins is this gentleman's username. Kyle, I've seen a lot of folks this week dig in their heels on either the all-in for Deshaun Watson or stick with Tua side of the argument. Can't we all just be pro like team Dolphins? Like, can't that be a thing until like we get a little bit further into this offseason and at least know who the coach is going to be? Uh, everybody's fighting. I want to propose something that's kind of the middle ground. Okay, another another proponent for something in the middle. What if we give Tua another shot next year with a new OC, some new offensive linemen, maybe a wide receiver running back in the draft? Sir, we better be picking both and maybe more than one wide receiver. 
Well, he's our third round pick on a guy like Bailey Zapp from Western Kentucky. That way, if Tua shows lackluster development in this season, we can officially move on but have allowed Zapp to learn behind him. This way, you aren't mortgaging all your draft assets for an established player. And hey, you have a contingency plan if the front office still isn't sold on Tua. I know this quarterback class isn't the best, but I really like what I've seen from Zapp. Think he could be good value. What do you think? So I have not gotten the opportunity to evaluate Bailey yet myself. So the way we do scouting over at the Draft Network is our full-time guys are all responsible for individual regions. And you take two months and you do all your intimate write-ups on every single draft prospect within your own region of the country. And then we stack that board. And um, then we start at the top and we do cross-checks. And everybody watches the same player on the same day in order based on the regional grades that they were given. And then that's when everybody else has a chance to get everybody a grade. Uh, what I have seen from Bailey is uh, I don't think he's a super physically impressive player um, as far as his traits go. I know he plays in an offensive system that is very quarterback friendly and third round feels rich. Now, if you want to get into day three quarterback and if that's the, the path that you want to take, by all means, but if we're if we're going to roll with two as the starter this offseason, then we better be doing not what we did last year in the third round and drafting a guy who's not going to play. And um, that would be a big sticking point for me, personally. I'm going to pull this one up from Smash Jackson real quick, shouting out the Draft Network. Looking through the Draft Network website, great content. I'm curious who you prefer for us out of Chris Olave and Kenny Williams, if both are there when we pick. Um, is that Jamison Williams? Is that who you're referring to? I like Chris Olave a lot. Uh, Pat, here you go, picking up with the Jamison Williams. Do you think Jamison Williams uh, will fall to the back half of the first round after his injury? Yes, I do. Um, I don't think he falls out of the first. Uh, but this wide receivers class, the the um, the main account over the Draft Network just sent out, I just put out my updated top 10 wide receivers for this year's class, and there's nine in the top 40. Like, it's a loaded wide receivers class. And having an ACL injury like John Mechie has and like Jamison Williams has right now, like, that's going to probably serve as a tiebreaker for those guys versus a couple of guys. But Jamison Williams was going to have a really good chance to be wide receiver one when it was all said and done for Alabama. He transferred from Ohio State. Uh, Chris Olave is my personal favorite. He makes the most sense in an offense that sends it and, and does a lot of vertical stuff down the field. Whether or not that's Miami, I got to know who that coach is. It's really hard to kind of prognosticate anything right now for Miami just because there's uh, a lot of unknown. And um, especially wide receiver, there's some scheme-specific fits there that I think are, are necessary to have an understanding on. Let's jump back into iTunes reviews real quick. We got like two more. Uh, Kyle, great show, listening all season. After the week, the, the loss to the Titans, it's clear the Titans have a top-tier offensive line. Can you compare how they constructed their offensive line to the attempts Miami has made at theirs? Have they drafted for different player strengths? Is, is Miami prioritizing the wrong things in their evaluation? Well, I know there was a big stretch there where they were looking at, we want guys that are... 315, 320 plus. 
We want guys that uh, have a certain dynamic for uh, body density and a certain dynamic for lower body explosiveness and power. And that was measuring the the standing broad jump. They got away with that with the Liam Eikenberg pick. Um, but they traded a pretty hefty price to go up and get Liam. And they talked about how they were worried about the run that was going on in, in offensive linemen in, in last year's class early in the second round. And I thought the selection of Austin Jackson was a reach based on the, the film and the tape that he had put on display. And it was a bet on we're going to draft for player development and develop our players. Well, that never happened because you had a revolving door at the offensive line and you're teaching them new techniques every year. And then Solomon Kinley, one of the things that's been reported since in the wake of the Brian Flores firing was that he was hard on guys for, quote unquote, uh, making weight. And when I saw that, the first name that came to my mind was, ah, Solomon Kinley. That probably explains why we haven't seen you forever, despite the fact that uh, the offensive line play in Miami has been greatly struggling this season. So, um, yeah, I think they got to look close at that. But I think the biggest thing for that for me is coaching. Because that is a group where the sum of the parts individually is not as important as the sum of the whole. And that is calculated by everybody being on the same page, everybody seeing things exactly the same and understanding what the guy on either side of them is going to be anticipating. And that's not something Miami's had success with in a really long time. So just go ahead and write Mike Munchak, the blank check, get it out of the way and let's go. Uh, last iTunes review comes from Little Lejon, believe. That's how it's pronounced. Thanks for a sec great second season of Dolphins content. One comment. I think it's important to take a step outside the sports bubble and consider any possible quarterback move. If the player in question cannot clear his name before said move is made, the stain on the franchise will be great and the public blowback will be astronomical. I've rooted for the Finns for 38 years, but I will sadly pause if they do this because the names on the back of the jersey are inextricably connected to the name on the front. Keep up the great work. Appreciate you chiming in. And I know there's a lot of Dolphins fans uh, that feel that way. And of course, any possible move for said player in question is, is going to invoke a lot of moral questions for all of us uh, that we would need to. And I've tried not to confront myself with that moral conflict and uh, am going to allow myself to have that opportunity should said situation arise. Um, but in the meantime, Heads down, been focused on the Dolphins who are here, players who are on the team. And we'll get into hypotheticals and, and how to build the team and what those expenses and opportunity costs might look like here uh, over the course of the next couple months. Listen up. I know you're all looking for an edge these days. And I want to thank OnlineGambling.com for sponsoring today's podcast. They give you the better's edge at OnlineGambling.com. Throughout the playoffs, they're providing you with the Best NFL tips, news, and more to help make your bets as informed as ever. The experts at OnlineGambling.com have set me the challenge for putting my own knowledge to the test and coming up with my early Super Bowl predictions to see how much of an expert I really am. As I said yesterday, I am leaning into the Green Bay Packers. I think there's a lot of momentum there. They're getting healthy at the right time. Bakhtiari's back. Jair Alexander coming back. Zadarius Smith's expected to play in the playoffs like, that plus Aaron Rodgers, plus my choice for coach of the year and Matt LaFleur. And uh, yeah, going to have a hard time not picking Green Bay. Uh, so we'll keep a close eye on that prediction as the playoffs continue. If you're planning on placing bets during the playoffs, make sure you head to onlinegambling.com before you do. Onlinegambling.com gives bettors the edge by providing the best and most trusted experience online all day. 
Every day, that includes their OG tips section where you'll find their very own Super Bowl picks as well as the inside track on how to beat the odds. So make sure you visit onlinegambling.com slash NFL for all the latest gambling news, tips, and info to beat the odds and give you the edge throughout the playoffs. If you've been listening to this podcast for any amount of time, you've probably heard me mention this app before, but if you haven't pulled the trigger yet, now's the perfect time. Get upside. If you drive a lot, you could save up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas every time you fill up by downloading the free Get Upside app in Google Store or Google Play or the App Store right now using promo code TOUCHDOWN. You can get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill up. That's up to 50 cents cash back. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using Get Upside. Download the app for free and use promo code TOUCHDOWN. You can save as much as two to $300 a month. If you drive a lot, you can get the cash back added right to your account. You can cash out anytime to your bank account, PayPal, or any gift cards such as Amazon or other brands. Just download the free Get Upside app and use promo code TOUCHDOWN. What are you maniacs doing in the live section here? Um, Troy, okay, since we're, we're talking quarterbacks, it's the theme of the day. Troy wants to know Derek Carr if there's any appeal there. I would have, I think Derek Carr is another one of those quarterbacks who is underappreciated. Um, but with them making the playoffs, I have a really hard time seeing them, especially running the table the way that they did. I have a hard time seeing them uh, transitioning away from Derek Carr. You know, they may they may end up sitting on their interim head coach and making him the full-time coach. And if that's the case, I definitely think uh, that that's somebody I would expect to see uh, remain in Las Vegas. Ghost of Adam Gase talking my language. Bring back Reed Sinnott. Uh, yeah, as a QB3, developmental kid, I, I'm rooting, the, rooting for him, hoping for the absolute best. Uh, indeed with a question and it's about the running back position Tyler Algier uh, who is from BYU uh, I know he is big dense physical our scout who did his full write-up uh, Damian Parson really liked him came back and said yeah this this is a, a between the tackles thumper kind of in the same light that Elijah Mitchell and obviously Trey Sermon was also drafted by San Francisco this past year. Uh, but Mitchell took over uh, that primary lead back responsibility and did really well. Um, I think that is a player who possibly could be there early in the uh, third day of the draft that would move the needle for me. If you got to that point in draft and needed a offense or a running back. Pat, how would you feel about Daniel Falele for us in the second round? So Daniel Falele, right tackle, Minnesota Golden Gophers. They play very RPO heavy offense. So there's a correlation there for what the Dolphins did this past year that I would have said, yeah, it would have made a lot of sense. But we don't know what kind of offense they're going to run. Uh, Falele is a freak. Think Jordan uh, Maitala, who was a seventh round pick the Philadelphia Eagles and is now their starting left tackle and is an absolute freak of nature, both from Australia. Falele is like 6'8", 380 pounds, moves phenomenally uh, for a player of his stature. If he's there in the second round and the Dolphins haven't addressed and gotten two starting tackles based on where they want to move Liam Eikenberg, then yes, let's have the conversation. Let's absolutely positively have the conversation. Um... Uh... 
Mario. A lot of draft questions, too. I'm pleasantly surprised you guys are mentally prepared to talk about the draft. Who are your top three linemen? I'm assuming you're talking offensive linemen in the NFL draft. Well, I'm glad you asked that because I actually have up right now my updated top 100 from over at the draftnetwork.com. And the top offensive lineman is Ike McQuannon from North Carolina State, plays offensive tackle, left tackle. There seems to be some who believe there's guard tackle versatility there. And if you are going to bring somebody else in who also subscribes to the idea of uh, finding your best combination of five, that might be an appeal. Uh, my number two total offensive lineman is Kenyon Green uh, from Texas A&M. Uh, he's a guard-only player. I think he's he's played tackle for A&M. I think in the NFL he's a guard-only. Um, but he's as rock solid as they come. He'd be a boring pick, but, like, man, I would love a boring double for an offensive lineman pick in the first round for the Dolphins. And then Tyler Linderbaum is my top center. Uh, question for him is he's only about 285, 290 pounds. So he's a little bit on the, the smaller side for offensive linemen. And that's, uh, that's something teams are going to have to individually ask of themselves and, and decide if they are, um, that's going to be a fit for what we're going to run. Uh, Brandon had asked about my thoughts on Omar Kelly's tweets on Mike McDaniel and Mike McDaniel is a name that I know has gotten red hot amongst Dolphins fans. Um, and Brandon says, Omar mentioning Mike doesn't call the plays is to say our appeal of what could be all of his quote unquote work or success is um, misplaced or, or misjudged or misattributed to Mike McDaniel. I'll say this. Uh, he's not wrong that Mike McDaniel doesn't call the plays. And I think he's well within his, uh, means to be apprehensive about the Dolphins going down that path again, right? It's a secondary character that you are asking, would be asking to come in and replicate the hallmark successes of somebody else when everybody knows Kyle Shanahan is an established rock star offensive coach. Just like everybody knew that Aaron Rodgers, when you hired Joe Philbin, who did not call plays in Green Bay was a rock star quarterback. And you hired Adam Gase when he had a rock star quarterback in Peyton Manning. So, like, that's the risk. And there's a part of me that has a little bit of that PTSD where it's like, mm, no, I don't, I don't think I want to go down that road. Um, but I will say this on behalf of Mike McDaniel uh, almost everybody who's been around him, like in the buildings that he's been in, that I have been able to research and find for myself has had nothing short of rave reviews for him as a football mind. And of course, uh, offensive X's and O's and improvement there would be a welcome site for Miami. The challenge is, uh, does he do the other CEO components of the job? Well, and that you would need the interview with him to find out. So it's hard to say, Ryan, if we keep Tua and bring in an RPO heavy coach, Marcus Mariota would be a good backup. I agree. Uh, I think Mariota, if you want to run a lot of the same things that you did this year conceptually and build upon that and build upon the foundation for two of the RPO offense that you did implement and hope that he continues to grow and get better at full field progression passing and, and passing within the pocket where it's 
outside of that two and a half second strike zone. Uh, Mariota, I think stylistically can give you a lot of the same things from a mesh point and ball handling perspective. He's a little bit of a better athlete, so you could have some packages built in on top of that. And I know the Raiders did that with him uh, in Las Vegas behind Derek Carr, where he had kind of like a package of plays where he got involved in the quarterback run game a little bit. And not to say that Miami would have to do that, but having that at your disposal to know, hey, if we got to go to the backup quarterback, we can get him involved in the run game, kind of get him in the rhythm of game a little bit. The question is what he's going to be, what he's going to cost. Now, if you stay with two and you want to bring in a veteran backup that's physically talented and used to be a high draft pick, well, it'll it'll cost you probably more than what Jacoby Brissett cost you, which I think was $6 million. Um, Jacoby, I mean, he, he got to be thrilled he got $6 million for this season. So, yeah, I think Marcus Mariota, if you want to go the veteran quarterback and free agency route, makes a lot of sense stylistically as a complementary skill set to what Tua has. Kevin, here's a good question. When you created your list of top head coaching options, did you take into account the kind of staffs they could pull? Example, Doug might bring in Jim Schwartz's defensive coordinator. I would hate the Schwartz defense with this group, though. I would like the record to state that. Uh, that wide nine defense that Schwartz runs. Um, I don't think I would like that fit with this group. I think the secondary would do very well because they leave their guys out on an island a lot. And Miami did that too, so there's a comfort level there. Um, but your defensive front has a lot of guys who are geared more towards gap control and gap exchanges and schemed pressures. And uh, if you go to a true wide nine defense where you're asking everybody to shoot up the field, that, that'd be a bit of a transition. You probably need a couple pieces there to make that work. But yes, I, I did t try to take into account relationships that those assistant or that those guys have in their back pocket for potential candidates. I didn't try to craft um, a true simulated assistant coaching uh, group. Here's one from Juan MD. You seem higher than most on Nicholas Petit Freer. Would you target him in the first round? Are you concerned about the Michigan game? So if you're not familiar with Nicholas Petit Freer. Uh, he's the left tackle for the Ohio State Buckeyes. And he's very, very toolsy. I would say this, his floor, a.k.a. what he is right now, is comfortably, comfortably better than what Austin Jackson was coming out of USC. And that guy got drafted at 18, and I know it's a different offensive tackle class, so you, that can't be a one-for-one one when Austin tackles the fourth. Austin Jackson was the fourth tackle off the board. Um, but I like his game much, 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 much better than Austin Jackson's. And I think he has uh, really high-end physical tools. What makes me feel better about the Michigan game is I know uh, Ohio State did this weird little thing where they kind of moved – them around on the offensive line and they take Petit Freer and put him back at right tackle. And then they take Thayer Munford who was playing left guard and kick him out the, the left tackle. And that was the play that everybody saw of Aiden Hutchinson where he's nailing the dude down before the snap and calling him out. And he just railroads him and runs through him. Like he's not even standing still. It was the left tackle, but at least that wasn't Nicholas Petit Freer. That was Thayer Munford. So um, I think he's a first round caliber offensive tackle. Yeah. He's top 20 player for me right now as things currently stand. Uh, I think he's a lot better playing left than he's playing right tackle. He started at right tackle in 2020. So again, 
little bit of personal positional versatility, just like we talked about with Ike Mikwanu uh, from NC State. Uh, Adrian, okay, here we go. What do you think we're currently lacking positionally? What position should we look for in the draft based on the strengths of this class versus where should we look to sign guys based on free agency? Adrian, this is about two weeks worth of content, my friend. Uh, I will do my best to give this answer proper justice without taking away two weeks worth of content for this offseason. I gotta do I gotta do show every day for the entire offseason now. Like let's 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 be reasonable here. Uh, but I will say this: uh, the wide receiver class is loaded. The defensive end class, pass rusher class, is loaded. The cornerback class is loaded. Um, your offensive tackle class, I feel pretty good about through the top 50. So Miami's gonna, just like they were with Liam last year, kind of be on the fringe if they don't do it in the first round where you might have some quality options, or you may end up looking at what you have at the end of the day and saying, Oh shoot, we might have to overpay and go get somebody else. Um, let me pull up the right board here and do offensive tackles. This way I can filter it for you guys. Uh, so top 50 tackles for me personally, as things currently stand, is Aquanu, Petit Freer, Charles Cross, Evan Neal, uh, Trevor Penning from Northern Iowa. Uh, we already talked about Aquanu. We already talked about Petit Freer. Charles Cross is from Mississippi State. Evan Neal's uh, left tackle at Alabama. Trevor Penning from Northern Iowa. And then Daniel Falele from Minnesota. There's a guy just a little bit lower than that for me uh, who I think is really interesting. His name's Bernhard Raymond from Central Michigan. And he's developmental. He's an exchange student from Austria. He's still a little lean. He added a lot of weight this this past offseason. Uh, but he came to Central Michigan as a tight end. And he played his first two seasons on the roster at Central Michigan as a tight end before transitioning. Uh, he had 20 catches for 164 yards in 2018 and 2019 combined before stacking weight. And then in the COVID season was the first year he played offensive tackle. Came back this year. A lot more mass stacked on his frame. Thought he moved guys pretty well. Uh, it's a high ceiling player, but it's also a player that would need player development. And we've seen how that story goes for the Dolphins. <laughs> so it's hard to get too excited about that possibility. Uh, Marcus, okay, talking linebackers. Any good middle linebackers? Yeah, it's weird, right? Because like we can't even say, like, oh, let's take Elandon Roberts' role because we don't know if Elandon Roberts' role is going to exist. Uh, Devin Lloyd, for my money, is a, a three-down universal scheme fit. Uh, he plays at Utah. He's probably going to be a top 20 pick. He's a stud. Also a stud is N'Kobe Dean uh, from Georgia. He's a little bit more of a will, uh, which means you want to put him away from the run strength uh, so that he's not dealing so much with immediate traffic. He's going to have the ability to scrape sideline to sideline use that speed in that way. You can use him as a pressure player a little bit more and get him isolated on the back and pass pro. Um, and he's a really Im high impact player. So N'Kobe Dean, of course he plays at Georgia, right? So he's playing behind four, four draft picks on the defensive line and every other guy on the second level is a draft pick and they're loaded this year. You're going to have a ton of draft picks, but N'Kobe Dean's one of the best ones. Uh, is he a Mike though? Probably, probably not for me. I know some guys that I, I think it was move the sticks. I think it was Daniel Jeremiah. I think he comped him to Jonathan Vilma, which is a very lofty comp. 
Um, and of course, Miami fans will have a soft spot for Vilma. Uh, but the name inside uh, that I would call out, I'll give you two. Uh, Henry Toto from Alabama. Uh, he transferred from Tennessee. Dude's an energizer bunny. Engine never stops. He's so much fun to watch. And then uh, Chad Muma from Wyoming. A little bit more of a small school kid. Uh, Muma 6'3", 245. And he moves really well. Um, but the fact that he plays at Wyoming might allow him to be available for you a little later in the draft. If you wanted a coverage linebacker to play in space, it's Jojo Doman from Nebraska. No questions asked. And I run the card up for him. I don't know if they're going to be searching for that though. Uh, in day Darian Beavers. That's another good call out. Uh, he would be a guy who, if you were going to keep the defensive system in the new England type structure, I think it would make a lot of sense for that Elan and Roberts type role. Uh, indeed, sorry to tell you this, but uh, Jack Campbell is going back to school. He's going back to Iowa as long as, as well as Sam Laporta, uh, tight end from Iowa, who if they would have let Kaseki walk would have been a player I would have liked as well. So Iowa got a couple of good, good kids back this past week. Uh, Brandon, here's okay. When are we due for another Kyle Krabs mock draft on the draft network? Monday. Stay tuned. No further questions. Listen, I'm going to tell you about our friends over at betonline.ag as we bring power to the pod this week around the corner. And by the way, I want to thank you guys. Uh, this week of Locked on Dolphins is currently set to be the most listened to in the history of the show. And I hate that it took a coaching change for us to get to this point, uh, but it's been really, really fun to chat and talk with all of you amidst all these changes. And that's why we'll make sure you guys are all set up for your betting success. Bet Online would like to wish you a happy betting New Year's. We continue our march to the playoffs. They are the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. New year, new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today. You get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit if you sign up. So use promo code Locked On to get started from football, basketball, boxing, hockey, UFC, right your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports is where the game starts. If you're new to the program, maybe, maybe I would assume everybody here, especially the 100 plus of you who are on the Thursday live stream. And the only reason I say that is to make sure if you don't aren't involved, that you come be a part of this really cool little community that we got building on YouTube over at Lockdown Dolphins. Uh, but if you've been listening to this show for any period of time, you probably know about Bill. It's the new year, which means New Year's resolutions. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in your plans. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. It makes it easier to stick to your resolution if you actually like what you're doing. Does it taste so good? Built Bar is something you're going to want to eat, unlike other protein bars that could be chalky, waxy, or taste like uh, the bottom of your shoe. They're high in protein, high in fiber, low in calories, low in sugar. They got 100% chocolate on all their bars. So what's not to like? Uh, I got like a little stash back here in the cabinets in my office and uh everything else got thrown out it's just built bars and, and i would get over there and show you but then you'd see me in uh my boxer brief sitting here recording the show so we're not going to do that you can go to built.com use promo code lock 15 and get 50 percent off your order uh that's built.com promo code lock 15 for 15 percent off at built.com for the record i have shorts on was comic relief. Nobody bailed on the, on the stream, so I appreciate you guys sticking, sticking with me uh, through it. 
A couple more live review questions. Oh, good call, John. Troy Anderson from Montana. Late round stun. It's a good call. I believe he... uh, I believe he used to play quarterback. Uh, Ghost of Adam Gase. What about tight end Wiley from Cincinnati? If since if Mike Isecki leaves, he's also going back to school. It's been a tough week for that. Uh, Stan Marino. You're the man. Thanks for the content. Can never get enough. Thanks for watching. I feel like that should have came. I feel like that was like a five-star review, but live here in person. It's very flattering. Um, Jake, here we go. How does Greer's approach to salary cap and signing players differ than that of the Saints approach? Is one better than the other? Okay. We're going to do this. And the only reason we're going to do this is because we talked about this on our staff meeting over the draftnetwork.com right now. New Orleans Saints last year going into free agency were more than $100 million in the red on their salary cap. And they magically managed to get out from underneath all of it. And it was applauded as this modern miracle. And Mickey Loomis is a wizard. And um, lo and behold, the team got worse. Thank goodness Drew Brees re- retired and relieved them of a lot of their cap hit. Because if that hadn't have happened, um, they they would have really had their work cut out for them. But they did all that, right? And now they're going to come into this offseason and they're $71 million in the red. So all that work last year to manipulate all that money, lose players and depth as a result, and get to this point. And it's pretty amazing the way that they have structured their cap. Where they have 12 players that are due for a $10 million cap hit or more next year. They have four players with a cap hit of over $20 million, and none of them are quarterbacks. And the next highest after Marcus Davenport, who's on at 12, is the kicker, Will Lutz. But here's the problem with the Saints doing business the way that they've done it and restructuring the way that they have versus Chris Greer, who front loads contracts and has a lot of more stipulated money and is more strategic, and he doesn't do what the Mike Tannenbaum thing was here in Miami, which was restructure contracts that are your most highest paid, cut down all that salary into minimum, convert it into a signing bonus, prorate it out the rest of the way. We'll worry about it two years from now. Because you know what's going to happen with Mickey Loomis here? Uh, Eventually, he's going to call it a day, and he's going to walk out on the Saints when they're like in their fourth year in a row of this. The roster's totally depleted, and he's going to say, you know what? It's the next GM's problem. It's not really my problem (laughs) anymore. Um, but here's the, the cap hits and the scheduled dead cap that exists for the New Orleans Saints top players this year, which is what I think is just mind boggling. And there's, there's ways for them to manipulate this and they will, and they'll get out of it, but they're going to lose some really good players as a result. And this is why I would never advocate for a team managing the cap the way that the Saints do. Marshawn Lattimore is due for $27.5 million cap hit. He himself is over 13 million, uh, 13% of the Saints cap. But his dead cap figure is $13 million higher than his actual cap. And what that means is if you trade him before June 1st, you owe $13 million more against the cap than the $27.5 million that he's on the books for. 
You can take a $40 million dead cap hit before June 1st to trade a corner? I don't think so. Michael Thomas, $24.7 million. His dead cap hit is $22.7 million. They could save $2 million by trading him before June 1st. Ryan Ramchek, $23 million. His dead cap hit is $37.7 million. So $14.7 million more if they got rid of him before June 1st. Cameron Jordan, $22.8 million. Dead cap is 21.4. You could save $1.5 million if you got rid of him. So you do the math, and then it's like, and that that's goes all the way down. They've got $13 million on the books next year for Teron Armstead, who's not even under contract with the team because they put a ghost year in the back end of the contract. What? So you start doing the math that it's like, okay, I can't get rid of Lattimore before June 1st because it's minus $13 million. We're $71 million in the red. Oh, by the way, you got $11 million in dead cap for Drew Brees next year. I would never, never advocate for my team to run it this way because it makes it very difficult for you to legitimately retool and rebuild. You're holding on to high-level players like what you have. The vast majority of your team is depleted from a depth perspective. And as evidenced, uh, player number 13, or player number 12 is Marcus Downport. He's due about $10 million in, in cap. Player number 13 is Will Lutz, five and a half. Player number 14 is Cesar Ruiz, 3.4. You've got a gap of all of that middle ground of reasonable players that are like worth 2% of your cap, and you can't touch any of it. So that's uh, sorry to get on the train, but I, I really enjoy the um the conversation about strategy and cap because that is one area for Miami that they have knocked out of the park and I know it's a very very complex uh thing to to take the accounting of guaranteed money versus money owed against the cap versus actual cash that you're paying out versus stipulated money and how teams value that. And it's, it's very, very, very intriguing to me. It's a big part of team management. And that's why I'm thankful for my background over the Draft Network. But it's a part of what Chris Greer's done. And I know he's a popular guy to hate right now. But that's a popular, that's a part of what Chris Greer has done that I have just been really, really impressed with. That's going to do it for us here on Power to the Pod. You guys rocked it on the live stream. Again, if you're interested in getting involved in the live stream, if you're listening to the podcast on Friday, uh, YouTube, Locked On Dolphins. You can hit subscribe. That way you get the push notification on your cellular devices when we go live. And uh, that way you can hop on and join and, and partake. And, and I would love to see more and more of you. I have continued to see this number of guys who, guys and girls, I should say, who are partaking in this uh, with me live. It's grown. And it's been really cool to see. And for those of you who are here, appreciate you all. Fins up. Keep it locked in. Right here on Locked On Dolphins. Talk to you guys again soon.